Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Scouting for Growth. This episode is most relevant for the income investment enthusiasts. I'm thrilled to have Steve Salangat joining me today. Steve brings over 40 years of direct investment management experience to the table. He's one of the few investing book authors who has actually managed client money for decades after steering his client's portfolio through multiple market cycles. Steve retired from his investment firm to focus on income, coaching, and writing. He also has his Facebook group where he teaches young and mature investment enthusiasts how to make the most of dividend payments, among others. A while ago, Steve noticed that most investment advisors are obsessed over chasing asset growth rather than reliable rising income. Yet, it is income, not your account balance, that pays the bills in retirement, Steve highlights to me in this discussion. Steve is here to share the fundamental principles behind income-focused investing laid out in his book, Retirement Money Secrets. His approach can help investors confidently replace their paychecks with portfolio income streams that grow regardless of market and rates. One secret we will share with you in this podcast is that Steve generated a whooping $14 million in income for his clients just before he retired. That is $7 million in base dividends and investment in, in interest, plus another $7 million in profit taking. Talk about income freedom. I can't wait to unpack Steve's methods uh, for constructing an income factory portfolio, taking profit systematically and making volatility and corrections your friend rather than your foe. The goal is income independence and financial freedom. So join me and let's dive into this episode of Scouting for Growth focused on income generation strategies. Steve, so great to have you with me on the show today. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Hi, Sabine. It's good to be with you. So, Steve, to get started, let's just go straight into it. And uh, I would love for you to tell us who you are and where you're coming from and what got you to write this book around retirement income secrets, please? Oh, okay. I'm uh, I'm Steve Selengard. I'm a 78-year-old ex-investment uh, manager. Uh, up until last year, I managed about $110 million for uh, 150 clients around the U.S. and some in Europe. None in England, but uh, some out 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 of the states. Oh wow! Um, I've been doing this since I started the business in '79. Um, I uh, lived in—I don't know how much you know about the states, but I lived in New Jersey. It's an yep. East Coast on the East Coast, just 45 minutes out of Manhattan. I used to commute to work there. 
Okay. Uh, I had a job with an insurance company in their pension investment department for a while, which is, uh, uh, and I had a defined contribution plan yep. with them, which is similar to the today's 401ks and things like that, except we didn't have nearly as much, um, we didn't have any selection capabilities. We were able to say, how much do you want in the stock market? How much do you want in the bond market? And that was it. And, uh, but they did match, they did match our contributions just like today. So I, I became, uh, I worked in that pension investment department and I started to meet with, uh, investment managers. Yeah. Uh, and I looked at, you know, what was inside the fund that I was in. And I started to ask questions about it because I used to fly with these guys around the country dealing with our clients. I was I was in the record keeping end of the the business. But I found out, I guess, a very significant detail about the stock market, and that is the companies influence the advisors. When you have a company the size of Boeing, for example, if they if they want you to have a lot of their shares in your um investment program for your employees, yeah. you you then had a lot of Boeing shares in your in your and thing so i the light bulb went off for me uh saying that it wasn't just economics like they taught us in college it's a lot of politics in there too and there are hundreds of uh, money managers and even larger numbers of uh, pension and profit sharing plans within companies that get managed and these companies influence what the managers do so i decided that in my investment portfolio. And I was fortunate. I was very fortunate as a young person. I, I, uh, I chose my parents. Well, I like to say, <laughs> and, well, <yes>. I, <laughs> and so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get out of college with debt. I got out of college with, uh, some assets actually. And, uh, so I was, I was investing early and, um, and at that point, the light, like I said, the light bulb went off and I said, Hey, I'm never going to let a profit sit there i'm going to take my profits i'll find something else to add to my accounts and that's and that's where it all began i started making significant money trading stocks i'm not a not by any means a day trader then that's kind of a dirty word in the industry anyway i you know i waited for 10 percent profit and i never let it go by yeah and i think uh steve you have been you know, you left your job 34 years ago and so started to be on this path around building investment income to replace your salary. So it would be great if you could explain to us what that means. Okay. Well, what I did, um, I, I, my 25th birthday, they, my father and um, as my present, he said, okay, all that money you put away when you were a kid from mowing lawns and doing this and doing that. I put it to work for you and, and here's what it, what it is. And, and he dumped out probably 30 or 40 different stock certificates oh, wow. in front of me and said, uh, this is what the guy's name was Ezra, his, his attorney. Uh, this is, this is what he's put together for you. And now it's up to you to manage it. So I had, Dow Chemical, I had IBM, General Electric, uh, you know, you name it, any of the big name. I probably had uh, of the 40 stocks in the Dow, in the Dow Industrial Average, I probably had 
20 of those and, and another 20 of others. All I had was stocks. I didn't have any income securities at all. But I was determined not to lose any of it. So I, I really started to study it. And one thing they all had in common, every one of them paid a dividend. So as soon as I deposited them with a broker, mm -hmm. I started to get dividends coming into the account. Oh, this is a good thing. I don't, I'm not working for that. That's, that's nice, you know. And I was working at, like I said, at this insurance company. I wasn't making much money, really. My wife, my wife's a paralegal and she was making more than I was. <laughs> and for a private law firm, you know, so uh, after expenses of commuting and all that, you know, so anyway, I started, I started all the stuff you do, you watch, you watch the charts, you see the trends, you see how they all go up sometimes, and sometimes just one sector will go up or one sector will go down. So, so you got the idea what was going on. But there were, if you looked in there, you would see literally hundreds of opportunities in a 20-year chart where you where you could have bought it at a lower price and sold it at a 10% higher price. And you could have done that pretty much in all of them many times. So so there was a second light bulb. I think that's all the light bulbs you're allowed. I'm not sure. But <laughs> I said, okay, I'm going to start I'm now going to be really active. And I started trading these things. And every time I traded, I took 25% of the proceeds pretty much, including the profits plus a little bit more. And I started investing in, in bonds. And in bonds. So, so you move away from, I would say, share I, and a dividend into to bond, but is it because of the, the timing on the market or? No, not at all. Nothing to do with the timing. It, the difference is um, bonds are a much safer investment by their nature and they pay in income. The only thing they're there is for a paying income. In those days, it was very difficult to trade them because there are markups. Yeah. You paid a markup when you bought it, paid a markup when you a markup when you when you uh, sold it, you had to pay the accrued interest to the person who bought it from you. It was very complicated with bonds. Um, so after a few years, I discovered that there were such things as bond unit trusts, and then I discovered that there were closed end funds, where I could own, you know, hundreds of different bonds for fifteen cents a share, because within this closed-end fund. And the closed-end fund paid monthly income. So this income side of my portfolio became a money stream. You know, it literally became a money stream. It was a significant amount of money. It wasn't just $20 a month. It was getting into hundreds of dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Eventually it got into thousands, you know. So, so that's what happened. I, I put... Uh, 25% of my money was always in always in the bond market and the bond market included these closed end funds that included um mortgages real estate all the different sectors of you know all the different types of income notes loans short term long term out of the country in the you know it was just a great diversified portfolio and on the stock side I stuck with stocks for a much longer period of time individually because I was this, the S&P 500 had a uh, 
a book, uh, a monthly guide. They'd send, you know, you, you, you subscribe to it. And it categorized them in what I would call, I, I came up with what I called an investment grade value stocks. Mm-hmm. And they were defined as <clears throat> companies that were profitable, that paid dividends. They were traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And they were B plus or better rated by Standard & Poor's. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all they had to do. But there are only about 250 of them that actually did all of those things. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, a guy I knew developed a, a program that tracked these things. And he'd send me, he'd send me a list, and I'd pretty much be able to pick and choose what I wanted from that list. And I knew that every one of them met my quality requirements. So all I had to do is create a diversified portfolio from that, and they all pay dividends. So everything. So that income stream number one is those dividends. Yeah. Now, the stocks and the closed end funds would trade up and down in price and taking profits because you know profits are partly politically motivated you know the big the big companies the ones that owned hundreds of thousands of shares a lot of them were owned because of because of their relationship with the company yeah okay like what we were saying earlier yeah like we talked about earlier so i set a 10 target on the stock market if the stock went up 10 i sold it i mean i didn't I didn't put a stop on it or any of those mechanical things. I never sold options and stuff like that for more money. But every time a stock got at or near 10%, I had to get a little bit, I had to actually get 12% because it was after commissions, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm doing, I'm doing this for, I'm doing this for a hundred people by now, you know? Um, and that that's what, that's what we did. I, I, every time. And that would be, it's, it's like the idea, you know, stock market goes up and down. Sometimes it's up. Let's say you're walking down the street and there's a hundred dollar bill on the floor, on the, on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. on the sidewalk. Do you walk by it and hope that it's going to be 150 tomorrow? <laughs> you good. know, it's a four. Yes. Probably you know, so, so say that hundred represents 10% profit or even a 7% profit. If, if the market's weak, you know, might be enough. You pick it up, you reinvest it. It's new capital. So the second stream of income I developed was this capital gain income. Okay. This year so far, so far, um, and it's five weeks, we're five weeks into the new year, my personal accounts have generated $20,000 in profits already. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, well, I thank you, but you know, it's just, it's not for, you know, I'm not bragging about it. I'm see, this is a possibility. Not only is it throwing off all these dividends in a month, you know, it's um, the size of my portfolio, you know, the dividends are going to be substantial, but the capital gains are like, you know, getting a check in the mail from your rich uncle and having something more to reinvest. So that's two, two streams of income. And the third stream of income is, okay, if you're lucky enough to have that rich uncle, he'll send you some money. Every now <laughs> or, your gran- or your grandparents, depending on your age, your parents, your grandparents, they may have, you know what I mean? But it's all money that you can invest. It's more capital. And it's the amount of capital that's actually invested that produces 
the income. It's not the market value of those shares or those bonds. The shares go up and down in price. That doesn't change. Typically, doesn't change the amount of money they pay. Yeah. So you need this capital gain. So when you think about it, actually, Steve, is you, you wrote a book, right? Retirement Income Secrets. Can you tell us, I mean, and this is to help us, people like me and people out there, to learn how to create income freedom, right? How yeah. to learn around this different income stream you actually highlighted for us right now to actually not rely on salary, but learn to actually take profit at the right time. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is behind the book and what got you to write it? Okay. Um, it's actually my second book. Okay. My first, my first book was called The Brainwashing of the American Investor. And brainwashing. It was <laughs> brainwashing. Well, yeah. Uh, it's kind of the, the same, just like in the, the current book, Retirement Money Secrets, I talk about how a person should focus on the income being produced by their assets. I mean, after they screen their assets so they know they have the proper quality, blah, 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 the, they're diversified, all those rules about investing in general. But at that point, they should be focusing on the income produced by the the shares, the bonds, and set, instead of their market values. Because their market value, they can't spend the market value. They can't spend a gold brick, you Indeed. know. You know, you can't you can't spend cotton futures. You you can spend cash, and the and the companies are giving you cash. Then they then they appreciate your value as an owner. Take for example, you have utility companies, and utility companies always were very good at producing dividends for their shareholders. It was like they said, you're our partners. You're our, you're actually our owners, but you're our partners. We respect you. We, we're going to give you back. We don't have to grow our utility company. You know, you got one plant, you got two plants. That's enough. You don't need to spread out and go conquer the world. So those companies were always good for dividends. But most companies, particularly in the tech sector, are... They they want to grow. I mean, that's their. I mean, when you get when you get letters from people that tell you they want to help. When you're a coach or you're a professional, they tell you how they're going to help you grow your business. They're going to bring you to scale. That's what these guys want to do. They want to scale their business, just like on that uh, the show on on TV. You know the. Uh, you know what I mean? You know what Yeah, I mean. Dragon's Den and these type of things, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that type of thing where they you meet these people who are going to give you money to scale your business. business. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you don't need to scale. Um, you don't need that scaling. What you need is to get some benefit from it. And the only reason why you can take advantage of it is taking profits because these guys don't give you a big dividend. I mean, Microsoft didn't pay a dividend until just you know, not even 20 years ago. Interesting. Yeah. You, know, you know, so, so I never, I never bought. And a now it's probably, you know, for a period of time, Microsoft became the most valuable company in the world. In the world. Before but, uh, Apple. But, but it still didn't pay much in dividends. Yeah. Didn't pay more than 1%, 2% at most. And that's when the price was down. Yeah. But the same, same with Apple, the same with Amazon, the same with Google, the same with any of the, of the fang the fang companies mm -hmm. 
you know, they're not there for, to give you income. They want you to have that growth and market value to build up that ego. And you have to sell them to use that money, but you won't sell them because you love them. You love them too much. I have a question for you relating to, you know, some of the changes in the marketplace with regards to, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, the Dragon's Den, the young companies getting investment funding from, from, you know, being mega investors. What is your view of, you know, money? Let's call it money supermarket or the democratization of wealth, you know, think about uh, platforms like, Seem, you know, wealth, wealthify, you know, platform which allows investors, you know, to, well, individuals to invest like people like you. What is your view around this democratization of wealth by using platform where you can actually invest in, in stock? Well, uh, you can, I'm not sure I, I, I'm familiar with them. I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, all the different facilitations of being able to invest through the stock market. If you're talking about direct funding of a company that's not public, that's private investments, I think it's a very risky enterprise. I don't think you're going to, um, there are things like uh, business development corps, BDCs, that seem to be pretty good investments that pay out a large dividend as long as they're successful. But, you know, they're only one company. It gives me the same scary feeling that hair goes up on the back of my neck. You know, what happens if this guy gets it in an auto, that the brilliant leader gets run over by a train or gets in a car accident and can't function or has a stroke? What happens? Yeah, I don't feel protected anymore in an individual company. Too much has happened. I've been through the Enrons. I've been through seeing Merrill Lynch go to zero. I've been through too many crashes um, to even to take for granted that every every great company is going to continue to be a great, successful company. So what I've done is I've... Um, Mutual funds were developed. I'm jumping from a whole nother. Mutual funds were developed and started to get popular uh, after the crash of in the 20s, the big, yeah. the Great Depression. M mutual funds came along years later because everybody's afraid of the stock market at that point. Too many people jumped out of windows, you know? And um, so people were afraid. So mutual funds said to them, hey, we're giving you a diversified portfolio. You, you're going to own the world. I mean, you're going to own all the companies. So it's much safer. And you can participate now <clears throat> in the growth of the economy again without the fear of 100% loss if a co company goes bust. Because, you know, we own so many companies that if one or two of them go bankrupt in a reception, recession, excuse me, um, it's not going to be that big a deal. Well, that's helped. And that brought a lot of money into the marketplace. It helped uh, the rise of uh, profit sharing plans mm -hmm. and IRAs can develop because all of these things use, use funds and fund mutual funds became a bit, one of the biggest operations of all. 
Before mutual funds, there were things called closed-end funds 20, 30 years earlier. They were different, but they did this, but it was the same premise, the same premise. You're going you're gonna to buy a diversified portfolio of things. And there's not an investment advisor out there, or if or, or there shouldn't be, one that would deny the fact that diversification is one of the key elements of risk minimization that you can employ. Um, and for you, know, so you that, Steve, it's focus on it's about income, right? Focus yeah. on proper income, not asset value. It's what you also highlight. Yeah, right. But the point is that in order to keep that income secure and that income safe, first of all, you got to invest in a company that respects you enough to pay you income. Mm -hmm or a fund that wants to pay you income. That's why it's there, right? And you have to diversify properly so you don't have too much risk. And you have to make sure the quality is there. You know, so quality, diversification, and income are the three of the four legs of the diversification um, or risk minimization stool, if you will. You know, if one leg's gone, you're not you're in trouble. Right? Yeah. So so that's that's where that all so is. one thing I remember as well from reading about you as TV is you manage over one hundred and ten million dollars in kind asset, right? And right. had an amazing year. I think I can't remember which year where you you made over fourteen million dollars in income, right? Fourteen million dollars in income in one well, year, that, right? How that was an out performance. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, that was two thousand twenty-one when we had that great rise, <clears throat> and in fact, that rise lasted into the beginning of um, well, it, it was into the into twenty-two. It lasted into twenty-two, and it actually started. Um, it, well, it was all, let's say all 221. So during 2021, and I'm not exactly sure what brought the interest rate sensitive securities uh, up with the stock market itself, but the stock market just went nuts, basically. Okay. And everything, the, the Dow, or excuse me, the S&P hit new all-time highs 70-some times over the course of the year. Uh, the NASDAQ kept rising until November 2011. Um, the Dow continued into 22. So the S&P had its last all-time high on January 3rd of 22. But during that period of time, uh, everything was going up in price. And and I was, I was totally in these closed-end funds, but my income closed-end funds, I was taking for my clients and you know i would call the broker we were probably doing two or three hundred trades a day mm -hmm. and we were taking thirty thousand dollars in profits a day for for months at a time it was just we had never experienced anything like it um and of course my my ideal situation is you never leave you never leave that you never leave those dollars sitting on the sidewalk you know so I'd call up every morning and she'd say, how many we got today? I said, well, we could have as many as 100 cells with all our clients. Mm -hmm. And we'd, we'd start doing orders and doing orders throughout the day. And at the end of the day, we'd be hitting that $30,000 level a day. And, it, and of course, the income 
and we were able to reinvest because my uh, my universe to select from is over 200 different positions and we you know things we sold two or three weeks earlier we'd now buy again yep you know That's and then we'd, going down and and but we don't you don't buy as much of it because when you're in a, a rising market like that you know eventually it's going to go down mm -hmm. the market is cyclical it's a cyclical beast it doesn't just go up mm -hmm. and sometimes it goes up and down a lot in be in you know in short periods of time so when you're buying into a high rising market um when i'd usually start off with let's say uh you know two or three thousand dollars or depending on large portfolios maybe six thousand dollars or more in a single position i'd only buy half that much because mm -hmm. you you know in your somewhere in the back of your brain this isn't gonna last forever you know you can't be you can't be just going up and up and up and eventually when the market went down we were we didn't have large amounts of profits left there. I mean, we had taken them all. Um, some days we were taking 20 uh, in a big account. We might take, we might take 10 profits of over 7%. Mm -hmm. That's really yeah. cool. But so mm -hmm. Steve, what are, do you think the biggest portfolio income mistakes people do when they retire or are, you know, near retirement today? Well, near retirement, uh, they should be starting to emphasize income in their portfolio instead of uh, equities because they're A, they're safer, and typically they produce more income. Uh, in the closed-end fund arena, equities pay a lot of income as well because their same focus is, you know, think about it, a, a, a rising market, they're going to take profits, but they got to get out to 95% of their profits. Yeah. So they're still going to pay you a good tidy sum. But the risk, the overall risk, recession risk and depression risk and so forth is higher in stocks. So you want to get back into more into the income purpose, bonds and mortgages and real estate and things like that. Um, But most so most people's mistakes are, particularly if they've worked for a big company and and they uh, they have a, an employee stock ownership plan or or their four hundred one k allows them to have a lot of company stock as mm -hmm. an investment. Most companies that are very successful don't pay a whole lot of dividends, so they have could have literally a million dollars of um, XYZ company. And it's paying 2%, you know, $20,000 a year. If you have a million dollars in diversified equity closed-end funds, you'd be making 90000 a year of spending money. So that's, they need to change their focus from feeling rich to actually being income independent. You know, and that's that's the first mistake. They they fall in love with their company stock. They fall in love with their Apple or their Amazon or their Google, which is great, great, wonderful companies that have done so much for so many people over, over time. But they don't pay any income. So unless you're willing to sell a little bit of a, at a time to fund your in, to fund your life, yeah. what if you want to see the world? You know. If you got to, let's say you want to go see Antarctica, you know how much a cruise to Antarctica costs, costs these days for two people? I haven't done it. It's, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't interest me quite as much as it does 
the African safari type of things. But <laughs> these type, types of trips cost, you know, a lot well, of money. It does. Money, and you don't want to be selling your securities to do it. You want to be able to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to reinvest, you know, $10,000 the next two quarters so that I'll have enough to go on that vacation. Yeah. So, and, and an income focused uh, portfolio allows you to do that. I mean, I've been, you know, literally my wife and I've been all over the, all over, literally all over the world in the last 10 years. Very nice. Congratulations. Cra crazy. Like we've been, right, you know, right there where you are on the, in the aisle, in the, in the aisles, been in, in uh, you know, nice places. So what are, you know, you Ireland, are Scotland, all, you know, some amazing tips right now, Steve, you have a mention already, some good, you know, some mistakes people are doing. So to actually reframe the way they look at investment and turn it into, you know, income. But what I hear from you is, a sustained approach to doing that in some ways, maybe building an income factory where you have different parts of the model, <laughs> right? Helping you achieve your long-term goal to have this, what you call income freedom. So what are some uh, tips, you know, people need to remember to get onto that journey? Oh boy. Um, to, you know, the, the idea of having, uh, let's, let's, let's think of, um, there's a lot of different closed-end funds, and they all pay an average right now of around 10%. Okay. Okay. And the reason for that is they're interest rate sensitive. Remember, I mentioned before how utilities um, they weren't as high flyers because you know they pay out a lot of income, but they're not growing so much. They pay out a lot of dividends. But when interest rates would go up, they would go down in price. Mm -hmm. It's the same with closed-end funds, both sides, uh, income and equity. Because they pay off so much income, and many people like myself use them as income producers, uh, when interest rates go up, they go down in price. When interest mm -hmm. rates go down, they go up in price, which is why something like 2021 happened. Interest rates were zero. So if something, and at that time, these things went so high that they were only paying six or 7%, not 10% like they are today with interest rates higher. So if you think about, you've got this huge mass of qualified income producing securities, both income and equity that you can choose from. Yeah. I I have, in, if I include the tax-free bonds, and I don't know if they work in, in England or not, they, they wouldn't, you know, they're US, so they wouldn't, I, I'm sure. Yeah, we, but we you, do have some. You probably have something like that, right? Correct. Okay. So I you take, yeah. I, uh, we call them I said. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have all these things to choose from. You've already checked them all out. They're all diversified. They're all high quality, all pay high income. You know, they also all have a range that you can see where you could have taken profits here and there, that they go up and down in price adequately. You want that. You don't want straight lines. You want jagged lines. So you put, think about, you can think about it in two ways. You think of like a, a department store that you have, and all of these things are merchandise on your shelves they represent every aspect of the economy mm -hmm. every type of companies in there every type of product you know so you open it up to the public and you say i've got a 10 percent markup on all my stuff in my store if you want to pay me more than that if you want to pay that you can take it 
I'm not going to say I'm going to I'm not going to hold out for more money. I'm not going to say no. I'm, I I want more money. I want this is my markup. So people come into your store, they buy what they want, and they give you money, and you yeah. go and you and you go push another button and add another product to your inventory. So if you think of it like that, it's just merchandise. You don't want to fall in love. You know, each of these things are doing its own special job. While they're sitting there, they're giving you ten percent. Well, if you can tell them for sell them for a 5% profit. Okay. You got, you made 15% for the year. You know, it's not great math really, but you know, but think of it like you got five months in advance or six months interest in advance, that type of thing. And you keep doing that and you keep buying, putting the same inventory back in again later. And that's one way to look at it. Um, another, another way to look at it is, <clears throat> pretty much the same type of thing you've got this this cash flow you got like we talked about there's streams of income and you know that you're coming let's say you're you're averaging 10 percent on these 200 things you don't have to own 200 you could own 80 of them, you know what i mean but you're averaging 10 percent well 10 percent is only three quarters of a percent a month mm -hmm. so if you're going along and prices are down and you got a chance to take a 2% profit. That's almost, that's like three months worth of income and you can reinvest it in again. But you've created capital. You've yeah. created new money. That's that, that check in the mail from your rich uncle. Mm -hmm. So you can buy more securities. So, so far this year, I've been able to buy $20,000 in new securities just by taking profits on my existing securities and replacing them so that's that's the type of you got to get yourself in that framework where you're focused mm -hmm. on the income and even even in the, the facebook groups that i have that we discussed this very process the woman who maybe i shouldn't say the person who helped me ghostwrite the book yes is now using this process and she'll sometimes say well it, it yields 15% and I've only got a 7% profit. Why should I sell it? Interesting. You know? Yeah. And I say, because it's there. Because it's and there. tomorrow it might not be. That should and be your trademark, see, because it's there, right? Because, right. There because it's there. So, something like that. Yeah. So but one thing that I think it's important, you mentioned this lady who is part of your Facebook group. When do you think is the right time? to start shifting our mindset and thinking about, you know, achieving oh. and growing reliable income? Well, that's a really good question. I think it's essential to do it when you're within five years of retirement. Okay. Essential. You got to do it. You got to, you got to bite the bullet. You got to take your tax bite on those big profits you have that aren't paying you any income. Yeah. And get that money working for you. The other and it's probably not something that you would think about, but the other point in my experience, and, and to me, it, it was very important, was to, as soon as you have some money to invest, always put a little bit into what you call your income bucket or your income asset allocation so that it can grow. And if, and if you use, I use what I call the working capital model 
and you mm -hmm. talk about it in the book, where I focus on the cost basis of everything, how much I actually invested and how I'm creating more capital when I take profits or when I add to it or when distributions come in. That grows my capital. And it's my capital that does the work of bringing in more money through yeah. dividends and interest. So I focus on that instead of on market value. So putting that, putting 30% of your investment assets based on the capital in income securities. And with every new bit of money, putting 30% in the income sector or the income asset allocation, you'll grow your income every month. You'll grow your income every year. And eventually you get to where I was when I was 34 years old, where my income from my two streams of income were generating five times what I was making. Yeah. So I could, I could say, plumb my nose at the old employer, stop <laughs> commuting, stop commuting to New York and start running my own business because I could afford to get started on what I was making from my investments. And the sooner you start putting something, and I'm not saying put a lot, but when you're in your in your youth, you should put 70% at least in the stock market. Because so long as you're so long as you're disciplined enough to take your profits. Yeah. And then the rest of it, keep growing that income, keep growing that income. And then when you get to be, well, when you get to be 20 years younger than me, you can start <laughs> thinking about retirement. I literally, I, for all, well, I, I retired when I sold my business last year, but clearly I haven't retired. I've been. Well, really you're continuing, right? And you are retiring. coaching and teaching others to do it as well, which is yeah. a reason for, for the book, uh, Retirement Income Secrets, and your Facebook group as well, where you are providing and coaching uh, right. people to learn to do it the right way. So, my last question to you, Steve, is you know, what are the key lessons actually? people you are coaching every day are yeah. learning from engaging with you. Well, I, you know, the, the lessons are, you know, we've, we've already pretty, you know, we've done pretty, Quite a thorough, few. we've, we've done a pretty thorough job <laughs> up here, but the lessons are to, and one we haven't, one we haven't really mentioned is understanding and respecting the market cycle. Yeah. They learn not to panic every time the market goes down. Instead, you know, they're, Tons. They they rub their hands together almost as as nicely as they do when the market goes up because that means this one says I'm going to get some profits and when it goes down you're rubbing your hands because I'm going to get some bargains mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to and my yields from my new money I put in the yields are higher when the prices are lower so you have to look at the market cycle as as the opportunity you need to. People say buy low and sell high. Yeah. Yeah. I say you buy lower and sell higher because you don't know where low is until it happens, until you get out of there. Then, you know, and yeah. you don't know where high is either. Just like just like three days ago when the market was at, on uh, February 2nd, the market was at an all time high. It's not now. Yeah. Yeah. My husband was just telling me you know, days so, ago. So, yes. And it's so, fun. how long? How far is it going to go down this time? Who knows? Who knows? But you, you have bargains to go after, so, right? And and what you do, you just don't want that to be a big 
care. You don't, I don't care. I want the market to go up and down. It's an opportunity and you have to organize your portfolio so that you can do exactly that. You know um, that you're going to grow your income whether the market goes up and down or whether interest rates go up and down. And those are the two key factors that affect your portfolio, interest rates and the economics that, you know, dictate where the market's going. Steve, last word of wisdom. So think about, you know, people listening to this conversation, you will find investors, you know, investors investing in startups. Um, you will find tech ventures, tech founders, you know, some of right, my age, right. some younger. You will find people, you know, corporate executives maybe going into retirement, but also looking at new ways to, to think about money in some ways. What would you tell them? What would be the last word you would tell them around how they can be positive around high market, low market, around all the recommendation you gave us today? I can, I can tell you a thing I think that everybody who's listening to this should do um, at any of those stages in their career where more income would be important to them. Yeah. And that is to talk to their financial advisor. And first thing to do is ask them a question. How much income, what's the yield on my total portfolio? How much income is it producing? And how much is it producing after fees? Yeah, Those two things. So you get a real handle on how much your income is and how much they're getting. Okay. After all the costs just being covered. And then you want to tell them, look, I want two things, two things. I want this portfolio to generate no less than 6% income. And I want your fee to at least be covered by the capital gains that you produce for me over the year. Superb. Thank you, know? you Steve. So if, if you talk to him about that, and uh, since you've read the book, you know how to do it. Yeah. You know, so that would be. Since you've read the book, saying. Retirement Income Secrets, and we all know how to do it, we should be able to ask the right question. Steve. Right. Exactly. Thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. And thank you for an educational lens around investment income. I've learned some tips. And by the way, you need to know that when I built my first business, I actually took my profit from my IBM shares. And that was 10 years ago. So Wow, that's great. I did learn a few techniques as well a few, a few years ago. But now I will probably be much more thorough in applying new techniques we you have to teach us, teach us today and which are in the book as well. So thank oh, you. That's great. If you ever if you ever have any questions, just ask. I will. <laughs> okay, I will. Now, now, now that we know each other, call me or email me. Yeah. Okay. Thank great. you, Steve. Thank great. you thank for Thank you joining. so much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Scouting for Growth. Please subscribe, share with friends, and leave a five-star rating. Your rating is so valuable. I'll review all of them, and my team help me adapt content to meet your needs. Also, connect with me on my preferred channels. I am a B2B growth expert, so you will find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Threads. 
and X as well, as well as Blue Sky. All information available below. Until next, keep scouting for growth.